Welcome back to the Synaptic Tales podcast with your hosts, Emma Hancocks, TVM technical vet, and Mark Lowry, RCVS and European specialist in veterinary neurology and co-director of Movement Referrals. Hi, Mark. How are you? Hello. Yeah. Welcome back, everyone. As you hopefully will remember from last time, we introduced a smart approach to epilepsy. That's TVM's new guide for first opinion practitioners. And we were chatting about the importance of speaking and how communicating with the client is so important. The next step of the SMART approach is going to be measure. So measuring is a bit of a minefield, I think, out there. What is it that you routinely measure in your epileptic patients, Mark? So if we're thinking about measure when a dog started medication, there are key things that are really important to look at in these dogs. I think there's a lot of bad press, and I hinted this last time, about phenobarbital and what it does. You did. You left us on a cliffhanger last time. Am I going to clear it up? I don't know. (laughs) so for me when we're checking bloods it's all very easy to go let's check bloods send them away check they're okay and we're happy and it will be inevitable if you're taking bloods from a dog and i'm using the term bloods loosely right now that when you get them back you've probably measured a selection of liver enzymes and those liver enzymes are likely to be very high because we like to look at our reference range and we like our values to be within the reference range it makes us all feel comfortable yep Now, if the dog's been on phenobarbital for two weeks or longer, those liver enzymes will be high. And all I'd say at this moment in time is disregard liver enzymes a lot. I don't worry too much about them. You asked what I measure. So the things I want to be including on those blood tests is I want to look at values for liver function. Liver enzymes tell you about liver structure. And by nature of phenobarbital, it is metabolized by liver. It makes the liver work harder the liver becomes damaged a small bit of liver damage is fine so the things i look for liver function there are four values i really really want to look at okay the first is glucose so we want to look at glucose and the liver produces glucose so we want to make sure it's not too low so when i'm looking at glucose on my biochemistry i'm checking it's not too low the others are albumin cholesterol and urea okay now if any of those are low Again, that alerts you to the fact there could be some kind of liver damage going on. So if we measure those four things, if they're at all low, I'm worried. Now, I have to add to that that we don't just measure them because I suppose we'll touch on this when we talk about diagnosis of epilepsy. But when you're taking bloods, you always want to do a fasted sample. So you want to wait until the dog's been starved for 12 hours. Very much like we would when we go to the doctors. We're told not to have breakfast and that's not a wait limiting strategy it's not a way of us dieting or the doctor's trying to be good to us it's to make sure that like our blood sugar levels are checked when we've been starved of course the body should be able to adapt to no intake of food by ensuring we've got a steady glucose concentration so always do a fasted blood sample to look at these things now if those four values are within a normal level i'm quite happy about liver function if you want to be really thorough or if you've got any concern then this is where the bile acid stimulation test comes in yeah a bile acid stimulation test, we do the fasted bile acids and then we feed the dog and we do a post sample. I do find as a reasonable screen, a fasting bile acids is fine. Okay. You will miss some cases, I'll be very honest, if you don't do a full bile acids. But actually, the vast majority of dogs, particularly when it comes to measuring liver function, doing a fasting bile acids is plenty. And as long as that's normal, we're fine too. The only time I really start to worry about the liver and liver enzymes, and indeed, even if bile acids start to creep up, is when dogs are actively showing signs of liver disease. Yeah, definitely. 
So a yellow dog, yep. that's a concern. Pot-bellied, all these things. The other thing to say about phenobarbital here when we're talking about measurement is measuring those clinical signs. The, the phenobarbital can do two things to the liver. The first is just its chronic use can cause liver disease. Now that's really, really rare. When we're doing serum concentration measuring, we do want to keep it at the right level because if you are above 35 to 40 yeah. mg per liter, that is when we need to be worried that we could be pushing the dog into a hepatotoxicity. So we do try and keep below the sort of 35 to 40 level on our phenobarbital concentration to make sure we don't go there. And if we do, that's really safe. Now, the other thing that phenobarbital can do is there's an idiosyncratic reaction where it just causes a really nasty, acute hepatotoxicity. Now, I said the chronic phenobarbital abuse of the liver is fairly rare. This idiosyncratic reaction is even rarer. Okay. These are dogs that have gone on to phenobarbital and they, within weeks they develop what can only be described as horrendous liver disease. They go jaundiced, they become acidic, they really don't look very well at all. Is this reversible? It's not. Okay. So when we see that, Goodness. that is a real concern. But this is so, so rare. And what I want to pick up on here is if you are checking your blood values after two weeks and you're seeing high liver enzymes, do not worry about that because I think I've come across a number of situations where vets will stop phenobarbital because the liver enzymes are a bit high. And as we've said, that's completely normal. We expect the liver enzymes to be high. You could make an argument that if they're normal, that's possibly because the liver's already really badly damaged and there's no more liver to destroy. Yeah. So high liver enzymes is actually not a bad thing. Yeah. And that makes me a lot more happy. Yeah. I'm really glad that you've picked up on the liver monitoring because that is, as the tech vet at TVM, obviously I do get quite a few calls about phenobarbital, for instance. And when they've done liver values and say, I'm just picking out ALP is usually the perpetrator, I will say. We expect as a rough guideline about three to five times the reference range. But, you know, I've seen cases where it is often dramatically higher than that. And you're so right in that actually, I really don't worry about it in the vast majority of cases, caveat that with, of course. But you're right. The first things I'm going to be asking them is, has the dog actually got any clinical signs? I'm going to look at other clues on blood. So you mentioned things like the albumin, et cetera. But just coming back to these liver values, one of the ones that is interesting to me is the AST. Do you ever use that in practice? Do you rely on it at all? I'm not going to say this because you're sat opposite me, Emma, but I would say about liver disease and phenobarbital, there is a great resource on the TVM website. And she hasn't told me to say this. This is just me. I actually it. haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I would guide you that way to get a lot more information because it does explain these liver values far better and more eloquently than I'm likely to do right now. But AST, yes, it is something that is less affected by phenobarbital. But personally, I don't use it. I okay. think the other measures that are better are to look at liver function because AST is a measure of liver structure. I know it's involved in muscles as well. So yeah. you get muscle disease, AST can increase. Mm -hmm. So it's not specific to the liver. And when it is high, you shouldn't therefore blame the liver. You should think there may be another cause. But I'm, I honestly, hand on heart, I don't look at it very much. But I would also say, hand on heart, I don't look at the other liver enzymes very much either. Okay. So liver enzymes, to me, aren't particularly useful. And it's those liver function values that I'm looking at in much yeah. more detail. Yeah. And just picking up on what you just said, looking for other causes. Don't forget there are other causes for ALP to go high. So things like undiagnosed Cushing's, if they've been on 
phenobarbital for years. Don't rule out or forget those. Steroid use, whether that be oral or topical, can sometimes cause that to increase. Is that the actual drug that they're on or is that something else? Don't ever forget those other comorbidities that might be happening or other treatments as well. And I think that's really valid because you've just mentioned a word that I don't understand. So Cushing's, I don't <laughs> what know what that, that means. Oh, again, we need a medic in the room. <laughs> no, so I don't know what that means. And that's why I don't look at liver values because they scare me too much. But in the context of phenobarbital, the other values are far more helpful for you. Yeah. I guess I don't, this is now just for my own peace of mind, to be honest. Are they not going to be reduced later on in the disease process? So my worry there would be, actually, if I'm looking at things like glucose or albumin, for instance, are we not going to have, we mentioned at the beginning, 70% or more loss of liver kind of function at that stage? Is that not a concern for you or? It is. So there's two things in end stage liver disease these products of the liver would be so reduced that they're incredibly low. But I'd like to think with regular monitoring, we'd pick up on that in time. Right. So this is where measuring every three to six months is a good idea. And that way you would be able to pick up that decline before it gets too far. But similarly, liver enzymes. In end-stage liver disease, liver enzymes can become normal. They can even get low because you've got no liver left. Yeah. So the same is true of liver enzymes, but they definitely go sky high before they go anywhere close to dropping. And hence, I don't worry. But regular monitoring is vital. So you're getting that trend. You are. Makes and I think sense. that brings in the serum concentration monitoring. Yep. So serum concentrations are the other measure that we do in these dogs. And this is with phenobarbital. It's fair to say with many of the other medications available for epilepsy, we're not quite as set on measuring the concentrations. I appreciate bromide, we do, but the other medications, we don't really monitor them in the same way. Now, the reason for that is phenobarbital is metabolized by the liver, the P450 cytochrome system. Oh, goodness. You've just I given know. me like flashbacks to uni. I'm not going to say it again because I felt a bit scared saying it too. It made me nervous. Um, <laughs> but, but this is like an enzyme induction where the enzymes that break down phenobarbital work harder and harder with time. So you can start a dog on phenobarbital at your standard dose. I choose three mg per kg twice a day as my starting dose for phenobarbital. And then it takes about 10 to 14 days to reach steady state. So again, an owner would need to understand if you started that medication, it will be a good couple of weeks before it's really at its effective working levels. Now, that doesn't mean it isn't working after a few days. It's just not working at its optimal position until that time. Now, at two weeks, we then measure the phenobarbital serum concentration because every dog and indeed every person's liver metabolizes things at different rates. So there'll be some dogs that can metabolize phenobarbital really effectively. We don't like that because that means yeah. it's not working as well. But that would mean in those individuals, they'll need a higher dose. I don't worry about what I'm putting into the dog. Okay. Phenobarbital. So I'm not too interested in the dose going in. I'm much more interested in the serum concentration. Yeah. So if I'm measuring the serum concentration after two weeks and the serum concentration is low, that tells me that dog needs a higher dose to achieve the therapeutic range. Yeah. The therapeutic range is big. It's massive, isn't it? I would aim at going somewhere between 25 to 30 mg per litre. Yeah. Why would you aim for that range, the 25 to 30 mg per litre? Is that where most dogs you find are controlled? It is. I think when you reach that concentration, you know you're getting your optimal performance from phenobarbital. 
That doesn't mean it's a it's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean you're going to have to be delighted with that performance. But that's the best performance for that individual dog. So that's what I aim at. I think the range goes from 15 to 40 yeah. per liter. That worries me a bit because we have talked about the higher end of that being more of a risk of developing liver problems, and the lower end of that I do consider myself as being a bit subtherapeutic. So I'm also aware of dogs that may only be at 15 to 20. Yeah, and we're not getting the best out of phenobarbital there in that individual so we need to we need to aim a little bit higher i guess if they're doing well though so obviously if they're at say 17 18 milligrams per liter and the dog's doing well is not having many seizures then i guess it's fine to leave it there but it's in those that aren't obviously we'd want to try and increase is that what i'm getting from this absolutely we so we look at the serum concentration but when we come to giving advice on what to do with the medication we need to consider what the seizure activity has been doing of course it depends on the historical baseline seizure activity it may be this dog only has had one fit every 12 weeks and we've chosen to start medication with the owner's guidance well if you're measuring two weeks in and it's subtherapeutic we've probably not given long enough yet to know if it's being effective or not yeah makes sense so in that circumstance i may not change it but i'd let alone know it is below the level where we know it can be most effective but let's keep an eye on it and then we can know that we might need to increase it in time. Yeah. And I think, are you likely to see, so say you've got a dog that is quite happy at, I don't know, 25 milligrams per litre, just plucking it out of dinner. Is it likely to stay that way? Why do we need to keep measuring them in the future? Why, once we're settled on it, can't we just stay on it? So here's the problem. And I think this is sometimes a mistake that's made or there's been a misunderstanding with it that over time you can you can get a dog on a nice therapeutic range the seizures seem controlled and we're all happy and we send that owner home now that owner needs to understand that things might not stay hunky-dory forever i think we do need to keep monitoring now there's a question as to whether we check the serum concentration every three to six months now that is a perfectly viable sensible thing to do and you'll read about that everywhere. That's the advice that's given. Yeah. If owners are a bit concerned with cost, or indeed if there's difficulty with taking bloods from the dog, say it's a very nervous dog, it's a dog that's hard to, to bleed, then what you may consider doing is just monitor the dog from a seizure activity perspective and just check the seizures aren't getting worse. Now, what will happen with phenobarbital? I've got a way of thinking about this. This is where my alcoholic tendencies come out. Oh, goodness. He's yeah. having a confession now on the podcast. Well, <laughs> so, so I like red wine. Don't and, we all? <laughs> and so phenobarbital, well, this will work well. I mean, it can be any red wine. It doesn't matter if it's a Miller or a Malbec. It's, okay. it's red wine. You're it talking to be. the right person then. Good, good. <laughs> so if we had never drunk red wine before, imagine that. I mean, the deprived life we'd have oh, had. Oh, wow. I, we'd I be can't remember that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if we'd never had wine before and we had a small glass of red wine, it would probably give us a little happy feeling once we've drunk it and we'd feel that nice fuzzy warm feeling that wine does for an alcoholic the problem is if you then keep drinking that one small glass of wine every night it won't quite have that nice fuzzy warm feeling in subsequent nights and to achieve that nice fuzzy feeling you have to drink that little bit more red wine you can see where i'm going this is my life so night after night if i want to achieve that same effect i have to drink more now over the period of say 6 weeks i might have gone from being teetotal to a raving alcoholic and that's because i felt this is on me that i need more red wine to achieve the same feeling now phenobarbital 
there is a reason for me. I was going to say, where's this going? (laughs) (laughs) It suddenly becomes something very different. (laughs) Phenobarbital is exactly the same, that if you put a dog on a low dose of phenobarbital on day one, six to eight weeks later, it is very possible the serum concentration in that dog has steadily decreased. That is very normal. And it's because the liver's working harder to get rid of the medication from the body. So over time, and it varies with individuals, I can't say this is necessarily going to happen over weeks, months, or years, but in a dog in general, the serum concentration will steadily drop despite keeping the same dose. So we're putting the same drug in, but the dose is decreasing. So six months into management, if you start to get breakthrough seizures or seizures become worse, the most common reason for that would be that you're now at a subtherapeutic range. So if you recheck the phenobarbital serum concentration, you may find it is below the level where we want it to right. be. Right. And you've got scope to increase it. Even if the dog is on a really high dose of phenobarbital, that's fine. And I've known dogs that have been on nine mix per kick twice a day. That's a huge dose. That is a huge dose, yeah. And it's not a starting dose. But it might be a dose you end up at in the future, provided the serum concentration allows you to do it. So it sounds like you don't really mind how high the dose goes that you're putting in. It's all about what those serum concentrations and obviously how the dog is doing. Is that right? It's absolutely that. Yeah. And it's such easy maths. I can't do maths, but <laughs> if the therapeutic concentration we're achieving is 25 and we're on, say, that's what we want to achieve, level 25 and our therapeutic concentration says 12, we just double the dose that we're giving the dog and hopefully that gets up to about 24 or so, which would be a nice place to be. I didn't realize it was quite that simple maths. <laughs> Very easy. Very easy. And if I can do it, then everybody listening to this can, because they can clearly operate a (laughs) smartphone and load a podcast, which I can't do. (laughs) So you'll never be able to listen to this. So it's interesting that you say different dogs or different individuals will metabolize it differently. Because then I remember back in practice having been concerned that I had a little Jack Russell dog on the same dose as a probably fat Labrador. (laughs) Um, But that sounds okay. It doesn't really matter then I guess. It doesn't matter and I think it is important in those cases we're doing all the other testing so we're looking at liver function we're doing the blood tests there ideally when they're on the high dose I would be saying every three months then we can make sure we're doing the right thing but absolutely that's absolutely fine to do and I'd have no concern about it. Great you mentioned that you could look at seizure frequency as a way of monitoring these patients if we're recommending these guys come in every three six months for blood samples that can get quite expensive alongside their treatments so is there a way to as it were do epilepsy on a budget yeah there is a question here of what are we expecting from the medication yeah and people don't talk about this and i find when you bring this up with an owner they can often be a bit horrified by this if i'm honest now i'm going to speak very freely with this and please do pretend it's not a tvm podcast (laughs) but i think with medication in general Part of the reason these medications are used is we find that they reduce seizure frequency. Many of the drug companies have done the testing and they know these drugs can reduce seizure frequency by at least 50%. Now, what they've done in the trials, and these aren't the drug companies, these are people like myself who have gone out and tested these medications. That means that maybe the dog that's had one fit every two weeks will go on to medication. And these studies would say that that dog would have one seizure every four weeks as a result of successful treatment. Now, that isn't necessarily great news for an owner. A seizure a day is not a good outcome, but it would be considered successful. So 
owners need to know about that with these medications. That that's what we're aiming at. Now, doing things on a budget, phenobarbital is a really inexpensive medication. And I think yep. even with a budget, it's the right first line medication to be trying. So blood tests aren't expensive. If we get a dog that has one or more seizures and the owners haven't got very much money, I would recommend doing very basic blood tests. I know we're going to talk about the blood tests that we would consider doing in a future podcast with diagnosing epilepsy. But we do those blood tests. If everything seems normal, it's fine to start phenobarbital at the standard starting dose of three mg per kg twice a day and monitor. Now, if that dog's doing all right with its seizure frequency and it's achieved that 50% or more reduction in seizures, we don't need to do anything more and we can leave things well alone. It would be advisable, and we should always advise, checking bloods every three to six months. Now, they may not be able to afford that, and that's fine because you can say, well, right, let's do it annually. But if you're going to do it annually, or if you're not going to do it at all, let's be honest, yep. the owner needs to be aware of the risks of what yes. that entails. And so all this discussion we've had about liver disease, we have to broach that with them. There is a lot of conversation there. I'm always trying to empower the owners to make the right decision for them. And as we talk about this, it's probably becoming more and more obvious. There isn't a right answer. Yeah. Yep. You try and do the right thing for that particular pet. And the right thing takes on board all sorts of different things, including the owner's financial circumstances, their living arrangements, everything. Even the age of the dog is important. And these things help us to make the right call. But the right call is ultimately with the owner, not with us. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. So we've spoken a lot about phenobarbital and everything makes sense. Liver monitoring, when to do it, what we're looking for, all of those things makes a lot of sense. Just thinking, obviously, it's not the only anti-epileptic drug out there. So Others are available. Others are available, just so you know. Do you measure the same things in those? What, do you measure serum concentration for other drugs? Like what, what would differ, basically? I think the main drug to bring up when it comes to serum concentration is bromide. That is the other medication out there that would require some kind of monitoring. But there's huge differences with bromide. First is bromide takes, I want to say it takes forever to reach steady state <laughs> Feels it like doesn't that. but it's two two to three months but yes it would feel like that for an owner with a dog with epilepsy and you start that medication waiting three months may not be appropriate so there's it's not great but the main reason for bringing it up is when you read the insert on bromide and you see what they suggest is it actually recommends you check blood levels after one month and then again at three months now here's another top tip and we're big mistakes happen because if we said it takes three months to reach steady state and we yeah. start the dog on a standard maintenance dose say 20 mix per kick once a day or divided twice a day if you wish after a month we know that serum concentration will still be low it will be higher than at the beginning but it won't be up to the therapeutic range so if we're measuring at one month as the insert recommends we do we're going to have a sub-therapeutic concentration so very often i've seen dogs that then get an increased dose into the patient at one month and of course that's the wrong thing to do because we're heading into toxicity yeah i personally don't recommend checking the serum concentration on bromide until three months okay at three months it's fairly reliably at the level it needs to be and we can then make decisions based on that a brief bit here if i may about bromide is it's a great medication and i think there's a lot of times when it should be used and actually when i can i try and use it as the second line medication not only because it's licensed as an add-in with phenobarbital, 
but also because it's a pretty good drug long term. It's well tolerated and seems to manage seizures well. But there is that issue of waiting two to three months. So you can load bromide. So loading bromide is a very reasonable thing to do. The problem with loading any anti-epileptic medication is, of course, it doesn't allow a dog to tolerate or to get tolerant to it, to the side effects of it quickly. Yeah. So I'll go back to the alcohol thing. If you binge drink three <laughs> oh, bottles no. of red wine, you're going to be all over the place. Whereas if you drank it steadily over a longer period of time, I won't specify the length, but if you drank it steadily over a longer period of time, you won't be quite as legless. With bromide, if you did load up to the loading dose very quickly over a short period of time, dogs will become very ataxic, so drunk. Yeah. They will be falling all over the place and they take a zombie-like state, I'll be honest. Yeah. Now, that's okay if the dog came in status epilepticus. Yeah. If the dog came in on status epilepticus, it had been managed well with phenobarbital and was on acceptable serum concentration doses, then giving bromide as a loading dose in that scenario is probably a good thing because you're facing such bad seizures that those owners will do anything to try and get the dog through it. But if you've got a dog that's having a fit once every eight weeks and you load them with bromide and they don't even manage to walk out of the hospital after that consultation, then owners clearly are going to yes. have something to say about that. So there is a time and place to load bromide, but it's more in those much more severe cases where we're really worried. But you can load it steadily over, okay. say, six weeks. I can say it here. The loading dose, what I try and do is I give 600 mg per kg over a period of time. So Traditionally, when we're giving it an emergency, we do it over, say, anything between three to five days. So we divide 600 mg per kg over three to five days and give that to the dog. But over those three to five days, we also give the maintenance dose of 20 to 30 mg per kg once a day. I see. If you did it over, say, two weeks, you would put the 600 mg per kg over the 14-day period and divide it accordingly. It's the way that we try and manage it to get these dogs loaded if we need to. And at the end of loading, we take a blood sample to see where we are with the serum concentration of bromide. It makes so much sense. And I think, I think bromide has a bit of a bad press. Again, a bit like phenobarbital, who was saying that it's seen a little bit as an old school drug in that giving those high doses and those loading doses. It might not always be needed if it does, just knowing that you are going to have those side effects and how to manage those and warning the owners and potentially spreading it across and so i think some of the reasons it's got bad press is it's an archaic medication as far as human epilepsy goes i right. believe it was used as an epileptic medication in people but around the time that people believed in witches too so <laughs> it's not not really something that if you mention to doctors about bromide they'll laugh you out of the room sort of thing you really give that to dogs i actually did to my sister who's a gp and she was what you still use these drugs yes we do so yeah it is pretty old school drug and i think that's got a bad press with it um, I'm not sure I want to open this can of worms, but is there a risk of pancreatitis with phenobarbital and bromide together? Yeah, it's hard, this one. There's definitely an association with it, and there's papers out there that support that and suggest it is a risk factor. So I think I have to say yes, based on the evidence out there. Having said that, I think you've got to be very careful that you're definitely dealing with pancreatitis and not just vomiting. Yes. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, Bromide, I find specifically when you give it without giving it in a nice big bolus of food, it can irritate the stomach lining and cause vomiting. So it's quite a normal thing to have. 
and I know vomiting is a sign of pancreatitis. So you could see how very quickly you go, well, this must be pancreatitis, let's avoid bromide. Yes. Actually, for me, the solution is put it in a much better bolus of food so it doesn't irritate the stomach lining. When it then gets into the gut, it's fine. It's absorbed and everything's working well. So the big top tip for bromide when, it's, when it does seem to trigger vomiting is to give it a big bolus of food and potentially if the dose is big, don't be afraid to divide it twice or even three times in the day so smaller amounts are given in right. time. Right, and that irritates less, I guess. It does. It makes sense. You did ask about serum concentration with other medications. Yeah. And all I'd want to say to finish off that discussion is that all the other medications we have out there, and there's lots of them, which the vast majority are off license, so things like levetiracetam, dare I say gabapentin, I don't like it, but we should mention it. We don't routinely measure serum concentrations in them. They've got a fairly standard dose that we give in both of those circumstances. In fact, they're medications that get into get up to steady state very quickly. You can test it. I think I've seen the tests available, but... Yeah, so I wouldn't worry about doing it because I don't think it means a huge amount. And for me personally, I also think because it's got a short half-life, the levels can fluctuate a bit more freely than maybe they do with other medications. So phenobarbital, we don't worry about the time of day that we do the serum concentration testing. The advice there is we try and stick with the same time of day in the same patient. So whether that's morning or evening, doesn't matter as long as we're consistent. But levetiracetam, because we're giving it three times a day, I can see there will be a bit of fluctuation there. Yeah. And that value could be wildly different depending on the time of day you do it. So you don't care about phenobarbital peaks and troughs and all of those things? No, no, not at all. So as long as you're consistent, it's fine. So yeah, if you last time you measured it in the morning, well, make sure you measure it in the morning again the next time around, just so you don't have too much alteration in that way. That makes sense. I just wanted to pick up on one of the other drugs, if possible. So I mentioned bromide, levetiracetam, phenobarb, and um, imipotoin. It doesn't have the same effect on the liver, does it, as phenobarbital? I was under the impression that you didn't necessarily need to monitor the liver as much as you do for phenobarbital. Do you need to do it at all? It's really hard with imipitoin because when it came out, there was limited safety data, just what was done in the trials. So it hasn't had that wider use yet to know exactly what's happening. But I think it's fair to say there aren't any major reports of liver disease, though it happens. So it definitely causes liver problems. Like with any chronic drug use, I would recommend doing blood tests every three to six months just in case. But that goes with every medication we ever yeah. prescribe. So I wouldn't say you need to be any more or less concerned. I think just that monitoring level is appropriate. Yeah. Drug. Yeah. Brilliant. No, that all makes sense. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. I, again, I think that's all we've got time for in this episode, but it has been really great speaking to you once again. I've personally learned a lot from this episode, so I hope our listeners have as well. Please tune in for our next episode, where we'll be moving on to the third installment of the SMART approach, which is advice discussing three key areas for epilepsy management. Notice I said epilepsy management there, not treatment. Mark, She's learning. She's I'm learning, learning, aren't I? And just a reminder that this was episode two of The Smart Approach. So if you haven't already, please take a listen to episode one, where we introduce The Smart Approach and discuss the importance of owner communication. Thanks again, Mark. I will see you next time. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.